Episode 7 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast takes off now. Hey guys, before we start this episode, I just wanted to take a moment of silence real quick to honor my friend, my fellow co-worker, my fellow pilot, Sheldon. Sheldon passed away a couple days ago, and uh, Sheldon meant a lot to us at Priority Air Charter. He meant a lot to everyone that he met, and I just want to go ahead and honor him with this episode and just take a moment of silence. All right, thank you guys. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you guys do for this community, and let's get back to the episode. What is going on, aviators? Welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot podcast, episode number seven. I can't believe there's been seven of these already. They have been so much fun to make, and I have received so much good response from you guys out in the aviation community that you've enjoyed these podcasts. So I'm going to continue to create these podcasts for you and try to inspire other aviators to get into this amazing profession that we have. I thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your days to listen to this, to comment, to talk to me on Instagram, to send me DMs, to really create a community. And I am just so proud of what we've created and I can't wait to see where this goes. Today, we are interviewing John Mark. John Mark is a CFI down in Florida. He's been flying a lot. He's been built his hours to get on with airlines, general aviation, a company he truly believes in so he can invest his time in. In this episode, some of the things we talk about are why he wants to become a pilot, his experiences at Son of Fun and who he was able to meet, and a special story about why he wasn't able to meet Steve-O, what it's like to be involved with a SoFlow prop life community, why it's important to get involved with the aviation community when you were training so you can get those contacts, what it is like to have your dad as a pilot, why it is important to get involved with your company and not just collect a paycheck. We also find out what his students struggle with most, what he sees in new students and how they can become the best pilot possible by not making these mistakes. We also find out what are the best and worst parts of being a flight instructor. I can't wait to share this episode with you guys. As always, please reach out to us. Our email is pilottopilothq.com where we would love to answer any of your questions and anything that you want to know about us, about this process, or if you want to be on the podcast, just shoot us an email or you can visit us at pilot the pilot on instagram where we also are very outgoing and we reach out and we like to talk with you guys please leave us a review on itunes we just want to know how we are doing whether we're doing well or we're doing bad just let us know leave us a comment leave us a star review we just want to know what we can do to make quality content that you guys enjoy listening to like i said before i can't wait to share the story with you john mark has a great story and i think it's going to be very beneficial to any type of aviator out there so i hope you enjoy it without further ado john mark Hey, John. Thanks for coming on the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. I'm doing good, man. I'm so glad we could get this worked out. Yeah, I know both of our schedules kind of uh, hectic, but we got it in hey. sync finally. Yeah, man. Life of a pilot. You never know what you're going to do, and it's all about that flight time, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Get the flight time now. Well, cool. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, first question for you would be, what got you in aviation? Why choose the pilot route? So I, I was, I've been interested in aviation, you know, the whole cliche as a kid. Um, I, my dad's a pilot, which has, you know, something to do with my introduction to aviation. And uh, I, I um, wanted to be in the Air Force when I was younger. But that dream, that passion, I would say, kind of faded a little bit while I uh, entered maybe like high school, middle of uh, the seventh grade, maybe to high school. And I kind of had a lot of different interests during the adolescent, my, during my adolescence. But uh, probably my first year of college, I started taking my training seriously. And since then, um, it's been pretty consistent. And, you know, I've, I've grown to love it more and more. So I probably started training seriously my senior year of high school and then even more seriously 
middle of my first year in college. You were ahead of me on that. I didn't start really training until probably my second year in college. Even later, I my first flight was when I was 20 years old. So I took oh, me a wow. while to figure out I wanted to be a pilot. And I was actually in a similar boat as you, where my dad is also a pilot and my grandpa was also a pilot. But they never pushed aviation down my throat. And I never felt yep. like I was called to do aviation until I went to college and realized that all these classes I'm taking are the worst thing I've ever taken in my life. And I was like, I need to figure <laughs> something out. And I was like, well, let's go ahead and just try it. I got nothing else left. It's either this NFL yep. or be homeless. So I figured yep. <laughs> being a pilot was the best bet. Give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the exact same boat. Um, y- you know, I, it, it, it probably isn't as cliche in your and I's situation because, you know, I did have a passion for aviation as a kid, but you know, I have to admit when I first started training, it wasn't something I loved a hundred percent. You know, I didn't go into it, you know, dreaming about, you know, having a particular goal in mind, but, um, I, I got into it, you know, was interested. I saw that there was some opportunity into it in, in becoming a pilot. So I started training and I would say little by little, you know, the more and more I delve deeper into aviation and more particularly the community, that's when I really started loving it. And then within the past couple months, I've really started loving aviation, maybe like when I became a CFI. So it, it kind of snowballed. It wasn't you know, 100% passion at first, but it really did snowball into something that I, I really enjoy now. And I couldn't see myself doing anything different. Yeah, the bug hits people differently. I mean, the aviation bug is a real thing and it can hit you on your first flight. It can hit you after you have 100 hours. And there's a difference mm-hmm. between having the bug and wanting it to be your like full-time job or give it 100% every single time you go in. But it makes a big difference when you do go all in and when you do give 100% because you're buying into being a pilot and you focus more and you're willing to put in the work that's required to be the best pilot you can be. Exactly. Exactly. Was there like a main moment you knew this was going to be your job or what you want to do for the rest of your life to light go off in your head or was it just kind of over time uh, it just snowballed like you said? I would have to say when I, after I got my uh, flight instructor certificate because before then I wasn't really too involved in the community. I didn't go to too many events. I only had a couple air shows under my belt. You know, I wasn't that interested in you know looking up different pilots in history and sifting through Instagram for an hour. You know, you know through different accounts and stuff. It was never like that until I got my pilot my uh, CFI certificate. And then you know the first couple times I showed up to work. I was like, you know, excuse my language, holy shit, like I'm like getting paid to fly and teaching people how to fly. And I, I like I know more than I think I know. And it kind of that's when it kind of went off in my head. And I was like, OK, this is really awesome. So it's just awesome that you have the ability to teach people what you love and what you're passionate about and give people the opportunity to fly. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Um, up until my flight instructor certificate, it had been more very rigid training and I've had a lot of cross country time under my belt and a lot of, you know, trips to far places, which were fun, but I never really got involved with other people that loved aviation solely based on the love for aviation. If that makes sense, like most of my training had been going to school, taking classes, you know, doing steep turns, doing a hold at this waypoint, doing an ILS approach. It was never like, okay, we're going to go up and fly for fun. And then 
I became an instructor and it was a little, it was very liberating, you know, being able to teach other people. And then I got involved with a couple of, uh, aviation, uh, a couple of, uh, the, the new generation of, of airmen. And we, you know, I started going to fly-ins. I started going to, I went to, uh, Sun and Fun for the first time this year. Oh, I'm jealous. And, well, hey, Oshkosh is coming up. You don't have, you know, you can always come to that. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I won't be able to go to, I'm going to China for two weeks. So. <laughs> you going to China? Like, yeah, I'm going to China for two weeks when Oshkosh is going on. So, unfortunately, oh, I won't be able to go. Dude, that's probably better than Oshkosh. Oshkosh will come next year then. You can, yeah, you I know, can right? Next year. I'll yeah. have Sun and Fun and Oshkosh next time, next year. Definitely. What was your first experience at Sun and Fun? Sun and Fun like? Oh, man, it was amazing. I haven't had that much fun in a long time. I got in, you know, the approach into Sun and Fun just kind of sets the tone. Um, I don't know if you've looked up, looked over the approach, but there's a particular procedure that you have to fly to get into uh, Lakeland Airport because it's so busy. Um, good thing I, I didn't go when everybody was coming in, but I did get a little bit of traffic as I was getting in. The gist of it is you have to, there, there are a couple waypoints and there's like a factory. You have to fly over the factory at, I think, single engine under a certain amount of, a certain airspeed is like a, like a thousand feet. And you come in and, you know, visually you have to scan for other people and then you have to follow these people over this particular waypoint. And then, uh, yeah, there's a guy on the ground. There are multiple guys on the ground throughout the approach. I think two of them. And then there's Tower. And the first guy, yeah, the first guy tells you to rock your wings and you rock your wings. And then he's like, all right, you know, fly uh, fly and intercept the highway. There are going to be two water towers. Fly in between the water towers, and so you have to just fly. You know, visually, it's some serious dead reckoning. I um, mean, just kind of, pilot isn't dead reckoning. You just kind of turn between these water towers and follow the traffic in, and then a uh, tower gets a hold of you, and you land on the taxiway. Actually, you're landing. If I'm not mistaken, it's parallel landing. So some aircraft land on one runway, and the other aircraft land on a taxiway. And there are two spots. There are two spots on the taxiway. And I think there's like an orange one and a green one. I could be butchering it. But pretty much you have to land on one spot. And the person, the uh, the other aircraft has to land on the other spot. So both of you are landing on the same stretch of tarmac. And, That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's awesome, man. It, it was really awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's something that's now that you have that under your belt, you know what to expect. That's got to be good next time you go. But I'm guessing for the first pilot, they have no idea really what they're getting into unless they've studied up and looked at that before. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's in the ATIS. They tell you to, to read this particular approach document before you go into Sun and Fun. Yeah. But when you t- tune the ATIS in, the ATIS is like two minutes long or I don't know, it's really long. And they kind of explain the whole thing for you, which is good. But uh, yeah, the first time it's it's like, this is, it's never, it's not like something you've ever flown before. You know, it's, it's really cool. That's crazy. Yeah. I kind of have a similar experience, not at Sun and Fun though, but it was my first time ever going to JFK, but we were flying the Canarsie VOR and I forget what runway it is, but it's really cool because you get to this one fix and then you have to, you're going to be visual at this point and then you have to find lights on the ground, like over the city, there's lights on buildings that are, they're like lead in lights and they tell Stop. you, yeah, they tell you which runway to go to. So it's the point where you split off if you're going to land on the left or the right and you have to follow, there's two sets of lights and they both curve to the one runway and you need to make sure that you follow those lights and you got to keep following the blinking lights on top of the buildings as you get closer and closer to the airport. It's crazy. Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, it, it was really cool. I was glad I went in with my chief pilot and he knew what he was doing because I would have had no idea. I would have been like, <laughs> uh, 
I need a divert. I need to land on my alternate. Go around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go around. Try this again. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. Thanks, though. <laughs> yeah, so that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool to hear stories from all these. You never know what you're going to get into at these airports. Like, not everything is a set, straightforward visual approach. You never know. So it's important to kind of get some information. Yeah, it adds just a whole new depth of, uh, of, of you know, in, immersion when you're flying into these airports. You know, every airport's a little bit different. Every, you know, as, as you fly across the country, the controller's accents just slowly change. You know, the, the, the scenery gets a little bit different. The weather's different. It's just, you're, it's, it's, you know, you're never going to experience the same thing, even at the same airport. It's always changing. Yeah, and also the airplane acts differently in different parts of the country. If you're at high, higher altitudes or if it's mm-hmm. warmer, like you you live in Florida, it's warmer there. The airplane's not going to perform as well as it will in the cold exactly. or somewhere else. So you can't get complacent in aviation. And I know sometimes that's hard not to be, especially if you do the same thing over and over and over and over again. But you got to remember that every day is different. The weather's different. The landing's going to be different. Your student's going to be different, act different in a certain situation that maybe he's done well his whole entire career. And then today he's going to decide to try to kill you. So you got to be prepared. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of like leads into a different, you know, I was actually looking at some airline pilot interviews and they say you have to take a, a test with a, uh, what is it? Like a, you have to get a mental test before you join some of the big airlines, right. which I didn't know. You know, I was just looking it up the other day and I was like, wow, they actually do some psychic evaluations before you join these airlines, which is the smart thing to do because it's, you know, you're flying tens of millions of dollars worth of, you know, equipment and you got like hundreds of lives on board potentially. Right. Yeah. You have all those people on board. So it's important. You got to have the mental capacity to handle the job. And I think that stems from the German wings accident that happened two years ago where the guy pretty much committed suicide and decided to take the whole plane with him. So you mentioned that it, you kind of found a, a good community on Instagram and with Instagram aviation and how you can spend hours at times just like looking up other pilots. Were you able to meet any of them when they went to Sun and Fun? Because I know a lot of the big accounts and big, I don't know, personalities were at Sun and Fun. Were you able to meet any of them? Um, so I, the, the group that I'm, most affiliated with or you know are this you know i don't know if you know soflo prop life and uh I've follow, i just started following them a little bit ago so i know a little bit about them yeah they're actually doing something really great like they host fly-ins and they uh advocate aviation and they try to get you know people in, involved in aviation um so all those guys and girls i'm, I'm involved with and you know we're all kind of in the same area, so we'll link up every once in a while. Um, funny enough, I was trying to see if I saw Steve-O at Sun and Fun, but I didn't get to run into him. Um, funny story, though. I don't know if Steve-O is going to listen to this or, not, or if he follows you. <laughs> but anyway. I, I was, um, when I went to Sun and Fun, I, I knew he was going to be at the Bose tent, and I didn't make it until the second day he was going to be at the Bose tent, or something happened, and I wasn't able to, you know get out at that particular time the second day he was at the Bose tent but um I woke up late and um I was gonna go to the shower house and I saw him like he was at the Bose tent but I I was like looking terrible because I just woke up and I was in like really raggedy clothes so by the time I took a shower and like freshened up and went back and put my dirty clothes and stuff he left so I didn't I didn't walk (laughs) yeah I didn't walk up to him and say anything because I was like looking terrible so yeah (laughs) that's really funny yeah Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. important to shower you don't want to scare people off by the way you smell especially at Lakeland Florida where it's really hot yeah 
Mm-hmm. First impressions. But he he works in the same airspace, the same region that I do. So he's, I think, usually out of like Fort Lauderdale executive. And uh, I, I, I've heard him over the radio a couple times. And oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should be like, what's up, Steve-O? Yeah, yeah. He's usually on like tower frequency or something. So usually I'm too scared to like say something and right. mess up the traffic flow. But Yeah, probably he, not uh, the best idea. Yeah, exactly. But but you know, he's around and it's it's kinda cool that you're like working alongside all these guys and uh I uh I didn't know he was there until afterward, but I saw on Instagram Jeffrey the pilot was there. Yeah. And uh he you know, I I've been following him for a little bit and he hopefully I run into him maybe at like Oshkosh or something. I think I know Steve O's going to Oshkosh, I think. I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I'd imagine they're both going to be there again. There, I think the, um, they're both sponsored by Bose and our affiliates of some companies that would want them to be there to get some, show some face and sell some products. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. No, that's yeah. cool. So you mentioned Stevo and Jeffrey the pilot, and what was it SoFlow? Yes, yeah, SoFlow Prop Life. It's just a co- uh, aviation collective. Yeah, they're. Uh, I think Timmy Francesca. I think that's his last name. He uh, he runs it, and yeah, we've been. You know, we've been friends for a little bit, and a couple of the guys and, and girls there, we've been friends for a little bit. So that group is really great. Like they, they're a really great group to be around, and that's you know, hanging out with them, you really spark a uh, enjoyment in aviation because you know they're they're all about having fun, but being safe, but you know, advocating aviation at the same time. They have a really good balance of everything. So. That's awesome. Yeah, it's once you can find that like core group of friends or even people on Instagram that can kind of encourage you and challenge you and make you want to be a better pilot and like you said a safer pilot as well. Once you can mm-hmm. find that, it's just going to exponentially increase your career and it's going to make you a much better pilot and I'm glad you were able to find that. That was one thing I was able to find on Instagram as well. And one thing I was encouraged by was just the community itself and how how much they're willing to help. Like even the big accounts, like they'll respond to your DMs, they'll respond to your comments, they'll include you kind of in their life and tell you what they've done wrong, what they've done right. They can mm-hmm. even one day, you never know, they might be able to offer you a job. Like aviation is all about who you know. So it's important to build a community, to stay in that community, get involved and to reach out to people and don't be afraid. Like what's the worst that someone can say no or they're not going to respond to you? Like, okay, try the next exactly. guy. You know? Exactly. Yep. So that's really exactly. cool though. Mm-hmm. And it's really good because everybody's kind of on the same level. You know, no one has uh, ego in that group particularly. I think, you know, and, and you make a good point. Like, there's very, there are very little people on Instagram that have a lot of ego. It, it really is kind of a close-knit community. And although, you know, some someone may have tens of thousands more followers than the next guy, like, it's still really, you know, close-knit and, and you know, it's a good teaching environment. And that's what I, that's why I really like, you know, you know, social media when it comes to aviation. If it were different, then I may not have as big of a social media presence, but I really like it and I enjoy it. So, well, cool. So let's go back to you mentioned your dad was a pilot. Does he had any influence on your career at all? Like, did you guys talk aviation when you were younger? Would he take you out to the airport and fly around, or what was that like having a dad as a as a pilot? Yeah, um, it, it hasn't really been until recently that he's really like been involved with my progress as an aviator um as a kid he he worked for air jamaica at first and then he works for ups now so um i remember when i was a kid before 9-11 i got to sit in an engineer seat on the way over to jamaica oh, that's cool. and, 
yeah, I got to see the, you know, land and everything with, you know, watch the pilots. I, I vaguely remember it, but I, I did get to do it. And obviously after 9-11, that's, that is, it can only do that, you know, in my dreams. So. Right, yeah, you can't um, just let anyone in the cockpit anymore. Yeah, so, you know, he funded, you know, my aviation career thus far, you know, before my flight instructor certificate and kind of guided me to that point. And he's, he's been involved, but I would say I've kind of pushed myself mostly to, you know, get the certificates and do the right classes and sign up for this and be at the right places at the right time. So it's been mostly him, you know, just doing, you know, what a parent does and getting, helping their kids get involved with something. It's not really like he's shoving it down my throat or anything. It's, it's more like guidance. That's good though. Which is which is yeah. good. Yeah. That's how my dad was like too. He kind of he never really pushed it. Like he never really even presented it as an option for me. Like I was always caught up in sports or thought I was going to be somewhat to something to do with sports once I graduated college or once I moved on. My dad, he just kind of was a mentor and just showed me that this was an option and it actually when I was 18 years old, I was getting ready to graduate high school. My dad was in recurrent training in the 737 and he called me up. He was doing his training. It was like 12 o'clock, maybe one o'clock in the morning. For some reason, I was up. He was like, Hey, if you're up, I have an opportunity for you to come fly the 737 sim. Would you want to fly it? And I was like, Yeah, yeah. I'll be there. And so I drove the 20, 35 minutes to get to the Charlotte airport, went to the training center. And that's where I first kind of fell in love with aviation. And I, that was the first time I ever got to fly an airplane. Granted, it wasn't a, a, a simulator, but a 737 simulator for an airline is pretty freaking awesome. If I do say so myself, it was a lot yeah, of fun. And of when I was flying, I was, he let me shoot an approach and he let me do some other stuff. And he, when I was shooting the approach, he was, he was probably just being nice, but he was telling me he, he couldn't believe that I didn't have at least my private pilot license. So then like in my <laughs> mind, I was like, all right, this is something I could actually do. And this is something that I'm interested in. And it still took me a year or two to realize that actually buy into it and actually fly in a real airplane which was yeah nothing like a 737 but it's still really cool yeah yeah i mean at least you at least it kind of caught on you know which is good did you ever play like ace combat as a kid no i never <laughs> i never flew flight simulator i never played ace combat i was like when i tell you i was all about sports like from it was 100 percent. i played baseball basketball football i played football in college i played travel baseball up until i was like 17 so my whole life was all about sports and nothing else. Wow. Well, airliners like to see that on the resume, so that's that's plus one for you. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> airlines. That's another good point. Is that when uh, you're looking for a job, a lot of times airlines or other companies like to see what you do outside of aviation. A lot of people can fly an airplane well. A lot of people you can sit with for eight hours and you want to be with them. Where you need to find a way yeah. to set yourself apart. You need to find a way to get into the community. Yeah. Maybe. Start some fly-ins, like you said, get involved with the fly-ins, get involved with the community so you can they can show you can show them how much you really love this and how you can make an impact on their airline. Yep, a hundred percent. And that's one thing that I'm you know, when it comes to anything, that's one thing that I advocate is getting involved with the people and the company you work for. If you're going for a paycheck, you're doing it wrong. You know, I'm I'm a hundred percent about, you know, if you're gonna work for X company, get involved with you know, how things operate, at least understand what's going on behind the scenes. You know, I personally want to get into management. I want to understand what the company is about, what their goals are, what they stand for, you know, future endeavors and, and you know, make it, make it a lifestyle. I'm not really there 
to you know get a check and fly 100% particularly because it has to be a little bit more than that to go the extra mile. Right. I mean, it's nice to get paid to fly, but you're not going to get rich off flying, at least not until you're, maybe your dad flying for UPS and he's been there for a while. He actually makes a good paycheck, but until then, it takes a while to get there. So you have to find yeah. a way to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And even at that, like even when you're at UPS, you know, you should still, with any company, you should still get involved with, you know, what's going on at the company itself. And you know, not just for your 401k or not just for profit sharing and not just for that stuff, but because you truly love the company and you truly love, you know, what the company stands for and what they're doing. So I think that's very important. Oh, no, I completely agree. It's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is I just wanted to see, I didn't want to just fly and then be done and then not have anything else to do. I had a lot of free time and I wanted to find a way to kind of give back and to kind of help other people Mm -hmm. just find out that this is a path that you can take. Like, you don't, you can be a traditional pilot where your grandpa and your dad have been a pilot and they've pushed it down your throat. You've been flying since you're four years old, or it can be, you never even thought aviation could be for you. And you listen to this podcast and you realize that you can go do it and you achieve your dream. Yep. And you know, I I appreciate what you're doing and I've listened to, I think most if not all of the podcasts you put up so far and i you know i think it can go far thanks man i appreciate it yeah the the way in which you're doing it and the marketing and you know how you're active on instagram and how you're getting in touch with all these aviators is really great well it's cool i mean everyone has a different story and people are encouraged by other people's stories and you never know you could listen to some person like it doesn't matter how many followers you have you could have 20 followers and you still have an encouraging story that someone wants to hear so if you have yeah. listening to this and you have 20 followers and you're afraid to reach out to me and be on the podcast come on out we'll tell your story i want to tell everyone's story if i can so just come on out we'll do it that's awesome yeah. that is awesome did you have any struggles training check rides talk about that kind of stuff yeah um so training pers- uh i would i would say i was one of those at least at first, I was one of those pilots that was really good at flying, but just hated the studying part of it. So, you know, I could I could fly all day, hold altitude, do all these maneuvers and land, and you wouldn't even know you landed, that kind of thing. But, you know, if you asked me something about the electrical system at first, I'd be like, what yeah. are you talking What's about? What's the electrical just, you know. system? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can so, land, does that count? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it, it was kind of like one of those, you know, I... I played flight simulator since I could, since, you know, I could physically play flight simulator and I've, you know, it was really good thing, you know, video games kind of came into play because I played a lot of video games as a kid and, you know, I was told that would get me nowhere, but it kind of did. Right. So it, it, uh, I, I was, I was really good at flying, struggled with the ground. And then I would say probably during my instrument to commercial training, I really started, you know, picking up the ground school. I did fail my private and CFI initial. Oh, no. Yeah? Yeah. Those, my private, I busted, I think my examiner, like, he distracted me, and I was about to bust airspace, and he, like, pulled the controls and was like, yeah, would you like to start over, blah, 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 or would you like to continue, blah, 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 and, you know, I remember, I remember it vividly, but, you know, I came, I landed, and I went that same day i went home and then i got a call saying that he was available to do it again nice. so I, we literally got yeah we got up in the air and we just spoke to a a, a controller and then landed and that that's was awesome it. yeah i mean yeah. a failure on your check ride is not the end of the world that people think it is it doesn't mean you're a bad pilot it doesn't mean that you can't fly it doesn't mean that you won't ever become a pilot or people will think of you differently you're still going to get a job if you keep going like Everyone mm-hmm. just wants to see how you react. Aviation is all about adversity and aviation is all about how you react to situations. And they want to know that 
you were able to overcome that difficulty or overcome that and become a good pilot and you're able to push through that and continue to go after your dream. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's really what it's about. It's, you know, you know, learning from your mistakes, you know, you, you don't, what, I don't know the quote particularly, but it's somewhere along the lines of failures. Just, you know, you, you never, you know, you never really lose. You just learn. For sure. So it's, it's, it's really important that you kind of learn from your mistakes in that sense. And yeah, the, the CFI initial was kind of rough. I got through the oral, but then the flight, what happened during the, oh no, the CFI, the, the oral on the C, the CFI oral is where I busted. But for some reason he, uh, he, we flew that day and then I had to come back and do a part of the oral in the flight again. Oh, really? It was really strange. That was kind of strange. Yeah. But uh, I got through that, and then, you know, that was a big, you know, weight off of my shoulder, right. and I didn't really, you know, I, I, I didn't really kick myself too much for that because I knew that the oral, that the CFI was a serious check ride, although I wanted to get it done, you know, the first time. Right. No, no but, one's going to fault you for failing your CFI check ride. That is the hardest check ride there is. And I've heard horror stories of like nine hour ground lessons and four hour flights. Yeah. So it's, it's no joke. Just passing that in general yeah. is awesome. Mm-hmm. My ground was seven and a half hours. That's crazy. And my flight was about two and a half yeah. hours, I think. It's, it's no joke. And you can't schedule it with whoever you want. You have to wait and see who the FAA gives you. So you have no idea what who you're going to get, what kind of questions they ask or anything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard to prepare for. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, you know, it makes sense because you have somebody else's life in your hands and you're signing somebody else to fly an aircraft. And they want to know that you are competent enough to, you know, to relay the information you need to relay to, you know, potential aviator so it makes sense it, it makes sense in my opinion I, I would have to say like the f when it gets into like fois and stuff the fois make sense but they could go about it a little bit differently um it's just you know connecting with people and understanding kind of getting an idea of what your student is thinking and correcting their train of thought to being safe so they kind of have a method to their madness although it seems a little bit strange there's always a method to the madness and maybe some of it's outdated but it's all there for a reason that something has happened for them to put that in there and ask that question so everything is there for a reason yeah exactly exactly how have you liked being a cfi so far man i i love it 110 percent. like i never work a day in my life that's one thing i'll say yeah it's 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 great um even you know I worked at Starbucks before I was a, f- a flight instructor, so you know, waking up at four o'clock to go make coffee <laughs> was a little bit of a it's drag. Hard to love that, right? Yeah, you know, opening the store, and I, you know, I remember working for Starbucks. So now that when I wake up, you know, four o'clock in the morning to go fly, it's a little bit different, and I kind of have a little bit more of drive to wake up and go fly, and you know, it, 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 it really doesn't feel like work. Yeah, you, you know, have a little bit of a better like attitude work. to it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Especially when you know you wake up and you feel terrible, but once you get in the air, it you know it all changes and all subsides, and you kind of appreciate. Okay, I'm flying aircraft. Like this is this is right. You're cool. like I'm not making um, mocha lattes anymore or frappuccinos. Yeah, yeah. I'm not not making like a hundred of those right. a day. It gets monotonous. No, I completely mm-hmm. understand that. When I was in my training to help pay for training, I actually worked part time in an Apple store, so I can a hundred percent relate to how you feel about being in retail while you're training. And there's actually yep. one of the cool things about it was it kind of helped me fuel my love for aviation because every single time I walked in the store, everyone was like, where'd you fly to today? What are you flying? What are you doing this? That's so cool. You're a mm-hmm. pilot. That's so cool. You do this. So it kind of just reinforced my opinion that this is awesome what I'm doing and just kept me to gave me the drive to continue it. Yep. Yep. By the way, how do you like flying the Pilatus, the PC-12? Because it's 
That's probably one of my favorite aircraft. It's the best plane I've ever flown in my life. Granted, I'm relatively young in my aviation career. I love it. It is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, I've loved that aircraft ever since I saw it. And, you know, the more I learn about it, let me know what you feel about it. But I I love it. You know, single pilot IFR, it's great glide distance, you know, great useful load, turboprop. It's, it, it's a pretty solid aircraft. It's a beast. If I won the lottery today, I'd buy a PC-12. Granted, I, I buy a brand new PC-12. My company flies the third, like the third, sixth, and tenth PC-12 ever made. So I'd probably buy a newer PC-12, but I would definitely third, buy a PC-12. sixth, and tenth ever yeah, made? they have like the yeah. OG yeah. Pilatuses. Oh my yeah. God. So what my company yeah. does, is I kind of mentioned this before in a couple other ones, is they buy wrecked aircraft and then they rebuild them and repurpose them and add them to their 135 certificate that is yeah, awesome so that's pretty, that's cool. pretty yeah, cool but they have the third the sixth and the tenth and it's it's pretty old school but they still get the job done and they're still a lot of fun to fly and two of them have a really cool american flag paint job on them that i love yeah i've seen that that looks awesome yeah it's sweet that really does when, cool. when we go to jfk or go to bigger airports i swear every single person that works at the airport comes down and takes a picture i even think that the the tower closes the tower to come take pictures of our airplane for a little bit it's crazy yeah man it's a sick paint yeah. job probably the best paint jobs i've seen best paint job and the best aircraft yeah, no, so it's, it's a lot of fun my only knock on a pilatus is that it can not climb above the weather and it's a single engine turboprop it's not designed to go to 350 or 400 so i mean it's really no big deal but i've been flying 135 freight for a while and i'm, I'm tired of flying through thunderstorms yeah yeah. Do you, what do you just like divert around uh, them? You or? try to. I mean, a um, lot of times you, you can fly through a lot of the stuff. Like we don't fly through red by any means, but we kind of, right, I kind of right. have the mentality that I'll try it. Like I, I know my bound, I know where, what's comfortable for me. Right, I know, right. like I've pretty much been through it all by now and I know what to expect, but it's, exactly. it's crazy. Like you'll fly through solid yellow and you won't get a single bump. And then you'll fly through this one little tiny poofy cloud and it'll be severe turbulence and you'll be like... <laughs> crying to your mom when you land so it's one of those things we said before is you can't predict aviation like everything's different like every storm is different every cloud is different and it's all it's just crazy yeah yeah Yep, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But hey, man, you're flying the, the PC-12. That's a, that's a serious deal. No, it's pretty I mean, cool. I was, I was kind of put it in perspective for me a couple of weeks ago when we had two interested pilots. They're flying. One's a flight instructor. One's finishing up his commercial pilot license right now. And they came out to the airport to look at our planes. And when they saw the PC-12 and even the caravans, their mouths just dropped. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Like, that's a PC-12. It's yeah. a caravan. It's a turboprop prop. That's awesome. And the day before that, I got a tour of a Global 6000, and I was doing the same thing. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a Global <laughs> 6000. It's got jet engines on it. It's huge. This is awesome. And yeah. the way that they felt when they saw my planes reminded me that I'm flying airplanes. I'm flying really cool airplanes, and I have the ability to do this, and I should be grateful for it. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. I mean, I'm not knocking it, but I fly 172s all day, so it's it's a big jump to something like a PC-12. Oh, for sure, you know? it is a big jump. And it, it, if you ever get a chance to fly PC-12, hop on it as fast as possible because they're awesome. I, I really want yeah. to. I want to. Well, mm-hmm. well, cool. So let's get into your uh, life as a CFI. What's uh, what's Kind of give me a daily picture of what it's like for a day as a CFI. So obviously with anything, you know, each day is a little bit different. Well, it can be a, a very different, but, you know, generally you have, I, in my experience, you'll have like one, two to three max, like primary students. And then you'll have like a bunch of other flights that need to get done, whether it's a, you know, a fam flight or discovery flight or, you know, uh, another instructor had to be somewhere. So you got to pick up a flight. So it, it varies a lot. Um, 
you kind of have to juggle a lot of different, you know, phases of, stu- of where your students are. Um, you kind of have to, you, you have to be there. What I find is really important is you have to be there a hundred percent when you're getting paid to do what you do, because it's very expensive for one and B, I want to present as much value as I can in as little time. So, you know, if somebody has something to get done, you can't really be slacking off in the air. You have to, you know, present that information as efficiently and as, you know, as best as you can without putting too much pressure on your students. Um, but you can't really slack off too much, which is what I, I find. Um, it's, it's, it's a great, really great opportunity for somebody who has, you know, their commercial certificate to do if you have your commercial certificate and you're thinking about you know banner towing or flying to you know somewhere 100 nautical miles away and back to get paid i I really suggest looking into becoming a flight instructor and it's not for everyone because you really have to get along with people very well and you have to you know you have to be a little bit of a people person to do it and you have your teacher you know essentially so Definitely a teacher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's 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 something that's very rewarding if you do it well, which I find has helped me a lot and has taught me a lot. I've gained a lot of time doing it. I've gained a lot of you know more importantly experience doing it. I love it. You know, bottom line, and it's it's a great great opportunity right now and a great phase in my aviation career. That's awesome. I mean, it's definitely it's probably the number one route that people choose. But what people make the mistake of is. They do it for the flight time and they do it just to get in and get out. But you have to understand that you're there to offer someone your services. You're there to teach. You're there to do so much more than just get flight time. You can't just have the mentality that you're going to do this for a thousand hours or 1500 hours and you're be peace at, peacing out as soon as possible. You have to want to be there and you have to, like you said, you can't get complacent. You, you have to figure out a way to encourage your students to make them want to learn and try to push them to their max capabilities without breaking your student. Exactly. And you know, it's, it's their flight. It's, which is what I tell my students, you know, it's your flight and I'm here to just teach. But at the same time, as you're saying, and was that what I've said, you have to present value during their time up in the air. You're there to get them to get to their pilot license. And eventually you're going to have to tell them, you're going to have to correct them. You might have to be a little more forceful than normal and you're going to have to show them just that they can do better and that you know that they can do better. And you're going to, it's up to you as a flight instructor to present that in the correct way to where they want exactly. to continue to being a flight student. Cause I know there's been some flight instructors that they are just not good people, people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they just yeah. push people yeah. away and no one wants to fly with them and it can, even if they don't get out of flying, it can set their flying back so much farther than what it should be. So it's really important mm-hmm. that you buy into the mentality of being a flight instructor and the culture that a flight instructor has. Exactly. And it's a very personal thing is, is what, we're, what we're saying. You know, you, you have to also find the flight instructor that vibes with you and is able to present that information to you um, in a way that you can absorb it. So, you know, you can have a student for a little bit, but if you guys don't vibe well, you know, that it don't feel bad or, you know, it's going to happen where a student will move on to a different flight instructor just to see if they absorb the knowledge from them a little bit better. So you kind of have to just figure out who you vibe with. You know, you can't be too robotic with it and you can't be, um, you can't think that 
you're just gonna get the student and they're gonna you know go fly with them for x amount of time and as you're saying peace out you kind of have to find who you know most people you will hopefully get along with but you have to be able to connect with that person oh, for sure i mean like you said you're gonna be in that cockpit with them for tons of hours anybody sharing close yeah. quarters you need to make sure they have good hygiene they don't smell bad you know they have good attitudes yeah. They're yeah. they're willing to put in the work willing to show up and there's no, there's gonna be no hard feelings if you choose to go with someone else. Like I'm sure a flight instructor would understand. I'm sure a student would understand if you decide that that's not the best route for you. And if you're presenting an information that you actually care for them and you can offer them a, an alternative, then I think they'll receive it well. But if they, if you just say, no, I'm not teaching anymore, then they might be a little offended. But if you can find them a different alternative, it'd probably be all good. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what is your absolute favorite part about being a flight instructor? It sounds cliche, but the flying, man, you don't have to, you know, you're paying, you know, somebody else is paying you and for the aircraft for you to teach them to the best of your ability. You know, the, the essence of being a flight instructor is what I really enjoy. So it's, you know, getting up every day and, you know, seeing the same people and seeing them progress and, you know, my the first time I signed somebody off was uh, like a month and a half ago, a month ago, from with his private certificate. And you know, now I show up to the flight school, and he's going to go take the plane by himself. That's crazy. You know, that's a yeah, it's a it's a really it was it's a weird feeling at first, but you know, it's a really it's a feeling of accomplishment, and it's a feeling it's a really good. Yeah, you're feeling. like, wait a second, weren't you the guy that couldn't land two weeks ago? Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Exactly. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it's cool to, you know, hear him on the radio by himself and taking the plane by himself and him going flying with other people that are building time at the flight school. And so you're pretty much taking somebody that doesn't know how to fly to, to being able to get an aircraft and get an aircraft safely and go and do whatever they want to do. So that's what I really enjoy about it. I, I enjoy connecting with people and I, I just enjoy teaching people how to fly. So what would you, what is your feeling when you sign off on your first student, not to take a check ride, but for their first solo? This is the first student you've ever had and you have them going on their first solo. What's going through your mind as a flight instructor? You know, I'm going to be honest. It was not as terrifying as I thought it would That's be. Good. It was, I was, yeah, I was not as anxious as I thought. Cause you know, luckily this, you know, this, this guy, I think he was like, like 27, you know, he came from Peru. Um, and, you know, really great guy. And, you know, he picked it up really quickly, you know, comparatively. And um, I was not nervous at all because I, I knew he was very capable and he understood and he had the feel for the airplane, which is really important. So him going on his first solo, I wasn't really too That's worried. Uh, yeah, I wasn't worried at all. I'm at, I wasn't at no point was I really like thinking to myself, okay, I really have to do this to make sure he doesn't hurt himself That's or, good. you know, put himself in a, into a bind. So. That means you're doing something right as an instructor. So good job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So he, and he's a good, in, in his, you know, in his defense, he's a good pilot as well. That's so good. it kind of worked out. Mm -hmm. What about signing someone off for their first check ride? What would you have any nerves for that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would, I would have to say I was a little bit nervous. Um, would you say you were more nervous than your student? Yeah, in both cases, I was more nervous than him, to, to be honest. Like, his solo and his check ride 
But at the same time, he was, you know, it, it kind of went very smoothly and he accomplished both um, ta- both uh, challenges very, very well. So, you know, it worked out. Yeah, for sure. What would you say most students struggle with most being like in their private pilot journey and before they take their check ride? Is it a maneuver? Is it landings? Is it just determining how much you need to study? Like what, what really sets back a private pilot student you know i can't really put my finger on one thing it, it really has to do with the person I, would, I can tell you okay landing obviously is one thing that you really have to get a feel for you know the you know when you go up and fly the first thing you do the first couple hours of your training you're you know slow flight turns climbs descents and at first i'm sure what's going through that student's mind for somebody who kind of has a feel for it already is okay why are we doing this like this is kind of you know we're doing the same things we did the same thing three days in a row. I get it. I understand. But then, yeah, but for real, when you, once you start getting to land, though, and it all starts coming together and you have to, you know, understand the intricacies of, you know, what's going on aerodynamically with the aircraft in slow flight to land the aircraft, that's when you're like, okay, so the past nine, ten hours or the past seven hours have been of us flying around and putzing around the practice area really come together now to you know land this bird so landing obviously is one thing um i would have to say that in terms of as a as a whole everybody kind of has their everybody kind of struggles at different phases you know i've had older students who you know it takes a long time for them to figure out how to hold their heading and, and altitude and you know just get a general feel for the aircraft so it really just comes down to you individually and working on that particular thing to get you to the next level. So. For sure, yeah, definitely determined. It's based, definitely based on the student because everyone learns different, everyone flies different, everyone picks up stuff differently. And that's another mm-hmm. tough part of your job is you got to figure that out and you got to present the information in a way that not necessarily that worked on your last student, but that worked on this student. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so we talked about favorite thing about instructing was. What's your least favorite thing about flight instructing? Do you have one? Uh, I would have to say cross-country planning ground school. Yeah. Why Why would you say those? <laughs> I don't think anybody likes doing that. The <laughs> right. E6B and the uh, weight and balance, yeah, yeah. Just do it. that's just a pain. Yeah, it, and just, you know, it's not bad when you're doing it because you know how to do it, but just going through all the algebra, and which isn't very, you know, it's not difficult algebra. Yeah, it's not rocket science, but... but- yeah, but going through it and it's it's a couple hours or of ground school as a whole, but just going through everything and it's important information. It's one of the most important things that you have to understand. Right. And, you know, the weight and balance and you know planning out a trip somewhere and figuring out your performance and all that stuff. Right. But I, if I would have to pick one thing, that'd probably be it in terms of teaching it. Well, it's also hard to teach it to someone when they're like, well, I just bought this new iPad that has four flight. I just go yeah, exactly. direct. I just type in two airports and I fly. Like, what do you mean dead reckoning? Yeah. All I do is follow this blue line. <laughs> exactly. So that's got to exactly. be tough too. I know when I started flying, it's like right when a four flight came out. So I actually didn't get it until I became a professional pilot and had my commercial license. So I never never got to use it in my training, but I'd imagine it would make it kind of difficult as a flight instructor to provide them with the information of why this is important, why an E6B is important and kind of what happens when you don't have an iPad to save your life. But it's, you know, once you, once you get it and it's, I don't think it's one of those things that you get automatically is, you know, even, even for, for a check ride or for check ride ready, like, yeah, you can spit out a couple numbers and do some math to show a ch- an examiner, like you kind of know what you're doing. But I don't think 
you know, at least for me, I really didn't understand. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of other people uh, kind of feel this way or most people feel this way is you don't really truly understand what's going on behind the scenes in terms of, you know, what happens to your performance if your CG is a little bit after, you know, your performance, your CG is a little bit, you know, forward or, you know, yeah, in theory, this and this, but you don't connect the dots as much until you're actually in it and doing it very often. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a lot of knowledge about CG with the, the freight business that I'm in right now. You definitely notice when something's maybe you should have put a little farther forward or a little farther back. Like you're always <laughs> within limits, but you can definitely tell when, when you're heavy in the yep. plane. You, when you're at rotate speed and the, you lift the nose off the ground, the plane just sitting there. You're like, all right, well, <laughs> let's go. Yep, yep. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. definitely exactly. it's important knowledge to have. It's Maybe you, you aren't going to use it as much if you're a private pilot because you're most, nine times out of ten, you're just going to get in a plane with fuel and go. But as you progress in your career, you're going to have to do more complicated weight and balances. You're going to have to do a lot more performance charts and kind of stuff like that. So it's more, it's good to know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're and right. when we're talking about kind of the FAA and the examiners. Like they know, like they've seen it all. You're not going to fool any of them. They know they're going to know if you have a general knowledge of the information. So it's definitely when they ask, you can't really bull crap an examiner. Yeah, exactly. You can't, you, you can't, you know, my commercial, you know, check where I had to do weight and balance, he gave me a new weight and balance, not to just you know calculate it right there in front of him. So they they know what to look for and they know what to test you on. Yep, they've seen it all. Mm-hmm. And one thing that this is one thing I recommend: don't talk too much in your check rides. Don't go down a rabbit hole where you can't get yourself out of because they're not going to stop you. They're going to see what you keep saying and they're going to they're going to let you make a mistake and tell you that you're not right yep. and that could end up failing you or it could just be a good teaching moment for you. Yep, exactly, exactly. Don't dig yourself into a hole. You know, you, you don't want to open up the can of worms that you that you shouldn't have. Not at all. So back yep. to flight instructing. Do you have any crazy stories as a flight instructor? Have you heard any crazy stories about, say, like students nearly killing you or horror stories from an actual flight school or traffic control or anything like that? I personally haven't had – I wouldn't say anything crazy at all. Um, but I've heard of a lot of stories. I, I The first thing that comes to mind is um, – I did a 180, a high performance checkout with with this one gentleman who was a flight instructor, but he didn't have his high performance endorsement. Um, and he came from North Florida, and he was telling me that this particular flight school has had like a ridiculous amount of engine failures during flight, and he's had an engine failure during flight, and this crazy stuff. And he kind of like shrugged it off, like it was you know another day, you know, at the job. But I was kind of like, "What are you talking about, man? Like that's crazy." Yeah, it's like, dude, you, know? you need to find a new flight school, man. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Yeah. Um, I've had a, a coworker who had a student pull the mixture on him on final. Oh, nice. And he, <laughs> yeah. And he, <laughs> <laughs> and he put yes engine sputtered and he had to put it back in and you know obviously he had control from then on that's hilarious yeah i mean the good thing is, is the engine comes back pretty fast but you got to be on your toes you don't expect your student to pull the mixture because that's like a big no-no in your head but to his mind he's like oh there's three levers let me uh let me try this one exactly like, dang it it didn't work <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean you never know what a student's gonna do to you i'm sure my flight instructors have so many stories about what i did and how i try to kill them but <laughs> if that if you do find yourself in a situation where say you're the kid that pulled the mixture on final like don't sweat it like i'm sure your flat flight yeah. instructor has seen someone else do that or heard stories about someone doing that like they're just don't worry about it 
can learn from yep. it. It didn't kill you. So learn from it, apply it to you being a pilot and then just make yourself a better pilot from that. Exactly. And the thing is you would be surprised, you know, when you're flying every day and you're immersed in aviation, you kind of get a feel for, you're kind of hyper aware of these things. So, you know, I've, I've had a couple instances where something wasn't that wasn't right. And I wasn't, particularly paying attention to it but i i i knew something was wrong you know intuitively like i i've had a student pull a mixture on me taxiing and yeah within like the first second and a half i like knew something was wrong i knew it was the mixture and i put it back in and i wasn't even looking at the mixture so you kind of like and, and i've had another you know little things like i was doing a night uh night cross country with a student and uh she was doing the mag check and the mags were running rough and she was like telling me beforehand that she didn't uh well we were talking about it and she was like yeah you, you know you are, you are you really paying attention blah 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 because like i was kind of like doing something else at the like while we were taxiing yeah. for a second and she didn't believe that i was really paying attention to like what she you know her checklist management and all that stuff you know and as soon as something was wrong like i hopped on it so I kind of kind of surprise myself at times when it's you know I, I I don't particularly think that I have the knowledge base that I do, but then yeah, when the challenge presents itself, I kind of you know overcome it, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean you know like you have a mental checklist going on in your mind of what should what you've flown you fly so much every single day that you know what a good what a plane should sound like, and when you do a mag check, you're like no, that's not right. So it. it Exactly. Or if someone pulls the mixture, like, hey, where'd the engine go? Let me do that real quick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that exactly. Didn't work. exactly. Yeah, so exactly. I remember when I was, it was probably maybe my, like, third or fourth flight at Ohio State, and I taxied to, I did everything. Like, I was doing everything right. I thought I did everything great. Taxied to go hold short, called tower. Or right before I called tower, my flight instructor was like, you forgot something. I was like, what? He's like, you need to take the gust lock out. <laughs> I left the gust lock in the whole time I was taxiing. Oh, yeah. Jesus. So he's like, we should probably take that out. And I was like, yes, we should. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's you're going to make stupid mistakes. And your flight that's what your flight instructor is there for to teach you and correct you. Yep, yep, that's 100%. Awesome. So uh, mm-hmm. how did you go about choosing where you are as a flight instructor? Did you have other opportunities? Did this stick out to you? Did you look in the maintenance logs? Like what made you choose where you are today? Did I look into the maintenance logs? That's a good, yeah, that's a good, good thing. Um, but I, uh, I actually got all my ratings at this flight school. Okay. Um, I've, I've seen other flight schools. I've been to other flight schools. I've, you know, see the way other people operate and other oper- uh, operators operate. And I just really loved the, where I am and the flight, the, you know, the instructors there in the community and the chief pilot and, you know, the owner, you know, it's just a really good environment to learn. And I think that, you know, they, they've been there for a while. I don't even like 13 years or maybe even more. Cool. So, they yeah, it's a really, really good flight school, and they know what they're doing, and um, they have systems in place to really, you know, progress students. And it's not that you know they're not there to just you know burn burn your money and burn the fuel. It's it's really a great flight school to be a part of. So that's kind of why I'm there. Yeah, no, you know? if you can find a good flight school and you like the community, you like the planes, you like the people, they take good care of the airplanes and they get their students in and get them out and they have a relatively good pass rate, you need to stick with them. It doesn't matter if you find some place in Phoenix that's going to pay you double what they're paying. They There's a reason why they're paying double. Like your quality of life won't be as well. If you can just find a good, it's like you were saying earlier that that one guy did the high performance checkout. He, his flight school has like a, 
engine failure every week. So you, why why would you go work there and take more money when you know you have a good place that's set for you to succeed right now? And that was my thought process. You know, they 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 brought me through all the certificates, and I was been really happy with them. And you know, I've seen the company, you know, where it's been over the past four years, and I really enjoy being there. So that's kind of why I wanted to fly for. Uh, instruct That's them. Good. All right. So let me, let's talk about what's your mindset right now. Like you have 600 hours, 600 ish hours, right? Mm-hmm. What's your mind? Like 1500 hours had to seem so far away to you right now. How do you go about like getting after it and going every single day and getting all those hours when your end goal seems like it could be so far away? You know, it's funny. I, it doesn't really seem like it's that far away because I've like doubled my time in the in the past couple That's months good. which is crazy but you know as soon as you get your commercial pilot certificate it you know the the opportunities are endless so you can especially when you when you know people that have aircraft or you know you have buddies that want to time build or you you know uh, you're a CFI and you have you know a lot of students to fly with so you know 2 3 months pass and you look at your logbook and you're like Jesus like I've gained a couple hundred hours in this little bit of time so yeah it's, it's really not not it doesn't really seem that far away so at, you know since i have that mindset i kind of just want to be in the moment and just want to you know really put as much as i can into instructing and put as much as i can into just aviation right now before i go to the airlines you know i really i, I the more I fly GA, uh, general, you know, aviation, the more I kind of, um, the more I enjoy them, the more I enjoy smaller aircraft and the more I enjoy, you know, te- uh, testing the aircraft and, you know, pushing the aircraft, you know, I would say combining maneuvers and, you know, figuring out how pipers operate differently than Cessnas during this particular phase of flight. And it's kind of, I, I, I'm just, you know, enjoying it right now. And then once the airlines come and once that opportunity arises, I'll take it. For sure. I've, I've talked to plenty of airliners or corporate pilots that miss the days of flight, instru- flight instructing, miss the days of flying low and slow and kind of being able to do whatever you want. So that's a good mentality to have. And then I can also agree with you and your love for GA. My whole, I always thought I was going to go straight for the airlines and that was going to be my goal, go to regionals and go to airlines and kind of follow that path. But the more I've been flying, the more I've been involved with general aviation and on-demand freight and going to these airports, the more I've fallen in love with general aviation and the more I want to stay in it. So I can completely understand why you love general aviation so much. It's just a great community and it's so much fun and encouraging to go talk to people, see different places and it's really cool. There's really nobody you can't connect with, you know, when when you play basketball or you play soccer, you, you know, you paint or something. When you meet another painter, it's like, oh, yeah, you paint, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's that to the max when it comes to aviation. If you meet another aviator, you know, you guys are like instantly, you know, connect on a, on a really deep level. Right. So, it's a brotherhood. Yeah, it really is. It, it is. So I really love that aspect of it. The community is great. I really couldn't ask for any more of the community right now. So let's go back to you. Let's say you are 16 years old and you still have the idea of flying in your head, but you haven't flown yet. What advice would you give to your younger self? Would you do everything the same that you did now or would you change anything? I'd probably just tell myself to study a little bit more consistently. (laughs) I can agree with you there. (laughs) I had the same problem. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I've been, I think I've taken a pretty good path. So, 
you know, it, it's it's worked out so far, and hopefully it continues to work out. So that's really the only thing I'd say to my 16-year-old yeah. self. It's always good to tell yourself to study more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And one good yeah. thing, too, is no one takes – very rarely does everyone have the same path in their aviation career. So if you are taking an odd path or an odd approach, like, so what? You know, it's going to work out for – you're going to get everything you want out of your career, so just go for it. So now I have uh, some rapid-fire questions for you, and they're nothing too hard. It's just – Yes or no questions or... All right, let's do it. What is your favorite airplane you've ever flown? Cessna 182. What is your dream airplane? Uh, 787 Dreamliner. Nice. What's your favorite airport you've ever flown to? Ooh. Uh, the first thing, the one thing that sticks out of my... Oh, I'd say Cecil. Cecil. Cecil? Okay. Yeah, it's uh, North Florida. Beautiful airport. Hey, what's the biggest airport you've ever flown to? Uh, Orlando International. Favorite aviation Instagram account to follow? The Pilot to Pilot podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's funny. I'll uh, take yeah. it though. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Pilot uh, to Pilot. Yeah, you great. But uh, let's see. In terms of content, um, why don't my boy, I'd say Troy be flying. Okay, cool. I've never actually heard of him before. I have to give him a follow. Yeah, he's, he's great. 77 Pilot. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's awesome to follow them. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you prefer long trips or short trips? Long trips. Would you rather fly over cities, mountains, the country, or beach? Beach. If you weren't a pilot, what would you want to be? A programmer. Okay. Piper or Cessna? Piper. A plane you've always wanted to fly? PC-12. What is one thing you have to have on you at all times while flying? It could be your iPad, sunglasses, GoPro, Apple Watch, iPhone. Gum. Gum. Nice. Yeah. Heck yeah. I gotta, you can't have your ears popping when you're flying. Yep, yep. All right, John, those are all the questions I have for you today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, If there is anything that we can do for you or anything that we can offer you, please let us know. We would love to help you out in any way. Thank you. I really appreciate the invite. And, you know, we had a great conversation. The same goes for you. If there's any way that I can help spread the word, I'll actually really, you know, I'll spread the word to my friends and, you know, get them involved. Sounds good. Yeah. If you have anyone you know that has a good story or wants to be in the podcast, go ahead and pass them on over here. And before we go, uh, go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram, what your username is. Yeah. Instagram, follow me at John Merck, J-O-N-M-U-R-K. So that's my Instagram tag. I don't post too much yet, but I'm pretty calculated when it comes to the post and I just try to, you know, be consistent. So I would agree. You have some great content. Your pictures look great, and I love your stories. And I especially love the, the GTA Grand Theft Auto vibe you get. He does some really <laughs> cool stuff with the story. So if you haven't seen what I'm talking about, go ahead and follow him. I might be stealing some of it on some of my yeah. flights. <laughs> Don't not even worry about it, man. Yeah. Don't even worry about it. We're all helping Thank each other out, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool, man. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. If there's anything we can do, let us know. Um, happy flying, man. Thank you, and same to you. And that is it for episode number seven of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. I hope you enjoyed John's story. He has a very good story, and it's a very inspiring and encouraging just to know that becoming a CFI can be a rewarding career, and it's a great route for people to take. And I would love for him to be my CFI or teach one of my kids how to fly one day. So kudos to you, John. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen to this. I know it was a little longer than normal. Let me know if you like the longer ones with more content or if you prefer it to be around 45 minutes. Thank you so much. I hope you guys have a great day. Blue skies and tailwinds. Enjoy. See you, aviators.